Father, we just thank You for Your grace tonight. We thank You, Father, that we just keep bragging about and just keep enjoying the presence of grace. Father, I thank You that only the Holy Spirit can speak to us individually, not just corporately, but individually. And Daddy, I'm really grateful for that. And I just thank You as You speak to us individually that we leave here tonight capturing the essence of what You're trying to say, really just how much You love us. It's expressed so many ways, Daddy. We thank You, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to minister for a little while this evening through a message that I'm calling Jesus is Coming Again. The cradle speaks of His first coming. The cross speaks of His returning to the Father. It speaks of so much more than that redemption, salvation. Essentially, what Jesus did from the cross, the last thing He said is He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. The cradle speaks of His coming. The cross speaks of His going. And the clouds speak of His coming again. You see, Jesus is the was, <laughs> He is the is, and He is the is to come. The cradle, the cross, and the clouds are all instruments that carried our precious Jesus. What I want you to see through the message tonight is this. Our hope is not fully satisfied with the historical fact. I mean, if we just relied on the historical fact that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, we want more. We want more than just a historical fact and truth. I don't want to take anything away from that old holy night because I know it was. We sang about it tonight. But my hope consists of more than the cradle that carried my Christ. God knows I don't want to diminish what happened on the cross. That was the most precious moment of all of history, that moment on the cross. But my hope reaches beyond the cross, the cross that carried my Christ. My hope is bigger than the clouds that will ultimately carry my Christ when He returns. Here's what my hope rests in. My hope rests in the fact that Jesus carried me. Jesus carried me! Not only did He carry me, and not only did He carry you, but He carried our sorrows, and He carried our sins, and He carried our sons. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, we find this wonderful truth. He said, Surely... Oh, I love his confidence, don't you? He says, surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. I want to draw your eyes to those words, carried our sorrows. Friends, I want to tell you something. You and I cannot rest if we want to carry our own sorrows. The message of grace is to let Jesus carry your sorrows, okay? I don't know why we want to do that. It's a mystery, isn't it? Why do we want to carry our sorrows when we can give them to Jesus? And the Word even says, Surely He hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Look at the word sorrows. It's plural, isn't it? It wasn't just one day. It's all the sorrows we've ever had. Jesus carried them all. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He carried our sins. There it is again. What a wonderful truth. He carried our sins in His body on the cross, I love these next two words, so that. Now the Bible says so that we can be dead to sin and live for righteousness. I love this amazing truth right here. It says we are dead to sin. We're not just numb to sin. We're not just intolerant of sin. We're not just insulated from sin. We're not just indifferent to sin. The Bible says we are dead to sin and because of that we live for righteousness and then he says mama he says by his wounds you have been healed 
by his wounds, or some versions say by his stripes you are healed. That word healed right there is an interesting Hebrew word. It is the word e-i-o-me. It means cure. I love this. It means made whole. You see, you can have a cold, you can have a cough, you can have the flu, and you can get healed up. But then maybe a month or two later or next year it comes knocking again. He's talking about a spiritual truth right now because he's talking about carrying our sins in his body. He's talking about carrying our infirmities. He's talking about carrying our transgressions and our iniquities in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You are healed. Again, that word healed means made whole. Let me drive it home with this truth right here. You see, leprosy was a nasty disease, and leprosy is just a type and shadow of sin. It's an outward manifestation of what attacked us on the inside, okay? With leprosy, it was a bad disease. It would start eating away digits. Pretty soon, the little finger was gone, and then the ring finger, and then that finger, and this one, and pretty soon you got, your nose is gone, and your ears are gone. When Jesus healed the lepers, you know what he said? He says, I have made you whole. That doesn't mean I just stopped the leprosy. What that literally meant is, I've just restored all the stuff that was missing. All the fingers and the toes and the nose and the ears and the eyelids and stuff like that. You see, because leprosy was so bad, it would finally eat away all that stuff. And what you actually died from is, you died from the infection. And so when he uses this powerful word, E-I-O-M-E, he's literally saying, I have cured you. And this is the reason Christ came. This is the reason he came as a baby. This is the reason he went to the cross. And notice it says, by his wounds, not your wounds, it's his wounds, the Bible says, not by our blood, not by our sweat, not by our tears, not by our works, not by the things we've done, not good deeds, and not by keeping the law. It is by grace that Jesus has healed us. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, we find this wonderful truth. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. I love that. He's going to do the fighting for you. You think God's ever lost a battle? In the company, know that he's going to go in front of us and he is going to fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God, look at that, carried you as a father carries his son. And what I really love about this scripture is it brings God up close and personal. Oh, have you ever had to carry your son when they were little? Oh, or the little girl? Oh, you know what? I mean, your arm feels like it's about to fall off, but they're sleeping and you don't want to wake them. It's something just so precious about carrying your children. You ever been there? Anybody ever been there? You ever been there and done that? Your arm feels like it weighs a million pounds? He says he carried you as a father carries his son. What imagery is that? Up and close, personal, God. Friends, the Christmas message known as grace is waking up to the reality that Jesus carried our sorrows, he carried our sins, and he carried our sons. This is the delight and the heart of the Father. When we meld together the cradle and the cross and the clouds that will carry Jesus when he returns, we come face to face with the awesome promise that Jesus is coming again. Now we can rejoice. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's not just the cradle, it's not just the cross, and it's not just the clouds. It is the Christ, and his name is Jesus. The cradle, the cross, and the clouds are just instruments that will ultimately carry Jesus when he returns. Ministers throughout the world are standing in their pulpits this Christmas, and they are heralding the good news that Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. They call it the city of David. I love this because the name David, oh, it means beloved. 
the Bible always calls us God's beloved. Over and over again, the Bible says we are God's beloved, friends. Listen, you can remember this word by simply just taking the two words that form it. It is the words be and love. That has been the message of God from day one in creation. Just be loved. That's why I came so I could demonstrate my love. You know, as I was thinking about that, my heart took me back to the beginning of time, Adam and then Eve and Cain and Abel and Seth and Mahaolio and Enoch and Jared and all these patriarchs of God, you know, Methuselah, the guy that lived 969 years, and even Noah. You will not see where God mentions that he loves them. His actions demonstrated it, though. It's like this crescendo is building, and he says, I'm going to release this word love the first time in Genesis chapter 22 between Abraham and Isaac, a type and shadow of Christ and us as the church. One day, God spoke to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, yes, Daddy. He said, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to take him to a mountain I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice him on that mountain. I want you to take a knife and drive it through his beating heart. And Abraham got up, didn't ask any questions, packed his bag, grabbed the fire, grabbed the knife, grabbed the wood, grabbed his son, and said, son, let's go. And he said, where are we going, Daddy? We're going to go to a mountain, and we're going to sacrifice unto the Lord. He was walking with his daddy, and he said, well, Daddy, we've got the knife, we've got the wood, we've got the fire. He said, but don't we need like a a sacrifice don't we need a lamb don't worry about that son God will provide and he got him up on top of Mount Moriah and you know what Abraham did he bound his son that's just a picture of us being bound to the altar the altars that we used to worship he bound his son to the altar and he drew back that knife I mean what faith what a word from God he drew back that knife to drive it in his son's heart and then all of a sudden an angel and that is just a pre-incarnation of Jesus that was Jesus there said hey Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. I bet you could have heard a pin drop on that mountain. So soft. At that point, Abraham looked up, the Bible says, and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And I love that imagery too. I know I've plowed that ground before, but you know what? Here's this ram. It's a male sheep. It's caught in the thicket. It's interesting that it would call him a ram. It's talking about Jesus having that crown of thorns on his head. And God provided the sacrifice there. The first time we see this word love in the Bible is between a father and a son. And you know what? That son represented you and he represented me. And the father said, no, no, I just wanted to see if you'd do it, Abraham. I knew you would, but I want you to see it too. But you know what? I provided for you already. I wanted to show you what's going to happen in the future. 2,000 years from now, I'm going to send my son. He's going to wear that crown of thorns on his head and he's going to have the stuff driven in his heart. And you know what? That is the last thing that was driven in Jesus was that spear and the Bible says right up into his heart that blood and water flowed from his heart wow the word Bethlehem is translated in the Hebrew as the house of bread how fitting is it that God's beloved son would be born in the house of bread I mean of all the places he could have been born he's born in the house of bread is this starting to make sense I mean, do you see that there's nothing random in the Bible? You see, listen, Jesus was the substance behind the shadow, which the Bible calls manna. Manna was the bread that God rained down from heaven, and for 40 years it fed those Israelites when they were in the desert. That's all that manna was. It was just a type and shadow of Jesus. Looking back, we can see that the manna that God fed the Israelites with was actually the shadow of the true substance, and his name is Jesus. We call him the bread of life. He's called the bread of life. 
The Old Testament casts the shadow of Jesus, while the New Testament reveals Jesus as the substance from which the shadows come. Shadows come from substances. You can't have a shadow of a hamburger on the wall unless you've got a real hamburger somewhere. You see, you don't just hold up a banana and it casts the shadow of an apple. The shadows resemble the substance. I don't know a lot about shadows, but when I was thinking about that this past week in my study at home, I thought, i got to understand this shadow thing. You know, I stood up in my office, I held my arm up like that, and I saw a shadow on the wall. <laughs> you know, I kept looking around, is that shadow anywhere else? No, that shadow just one place. And it depended on where the light was, because I could take this hand and cast a shadow, but walk over here underneath the light, and now my shadow's over here. Shadows were kind of moving all over the place. You know, i tell you what, let me show you a picture of the shadow. It's just Psalm 23. Jesus said this, you know, he's the good shepherd, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let me just skip over verse 4 there for a second, because that's got the shadow in it. And it talks about him filling your cup overflowing, and how he prepares a, a table for you in the presence of your enemy, and how he anoints your head, and how goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. All that sounds wonderful. We don't like the part about the walking through the valley of the shadow of death, though. We don't like that part, do we? That's verse number 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, for thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. Let me tell you something about a rod and staff. The word when it says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, that word comfort literally means repent. The rod and staff are no more than really two pieces of wood. I want you to take a look at them. The rod was always shorter. It was like a club that you would throw at, at animals to defend and protect is what it was for. And the shepherd's hook was also uh, something to direct the sheep with and pull back their wool and take care of them. But when you bring them together, do you see why the rod and the staff, they comfort me? All it was was a shadow and a type of Christ and his rod and his staff. The cross is what causes us to change our mind. The Christ on the cross is what causes us to change our mind. Did you know this is true, that a shadow can enter a room before the man does? It just depends on where the light's at. See, if the light's behind you, if I was to walk from this room and I had a bright light behind me, my shadow would enter this room before I would. And so it helps us understand this truth because Jesus was coming into the world and in John chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, here's what it says. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So the question becomes, why didn't the world recognize Jesus as the true light? It's because their religious mindsets had darkened their hearts and it's because their eyes were fixed on the shadow rather than the substance. James chapter 1 verse 17 says it this way. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turnings. Friends, I want to tell you something. The shadow has been replaced by the true substance. His name is Jesus. He is the light of the world. And Jesus is coming again. Let me give you the difference between law and grace. We talk about the differences between law and grace. When I first got saved, religion had casted this shadow on the wall of what I needed to look like, what I needed to sound like, what I needed to smell like, what I needed to taste like, what I needed to talk like. It casted this shadow on the wall, and I conformed everything in me to fit that shadow of religion. 
But when I received the revelation of grace, <laughs> what's the revelation of grace? Christ in me, the hope of glory. What did I receive? I received that the light is on the inside of me. Matthew chapter 5, 14 was there all the time where it said, hey, you are the light of the world. When I received that revelation, the shadow fled. The light was so bright and the news was so good that the shadows of performing to please my daddy absolutely vanished. The shadow has been replaced by the true light. His name is Jesus. He is the grace man and he is the substance of my faith and the delight of my affection. Because of the revelation of grace, I have the confidence and I have the boldness to say, my Jesus is coming. Not only is he coming, but he's coming for you. And he's coming for you. And he's coming for you, Fred. And he's coming for you, sweetheart. And he's coming for you, Judy. And he's coming for you. And he's coming for me. He's coming for us. I'm not looking into the cradle. I'm not looking just to the cross. I'm not even looking to the clouds. I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. You know what? I'm saved by his amazing and his ever-increasing grace through faith alone. It's our message here. You are saved by grace through faith alone. The Bible says, now faith is the substance. Get out of the way, shadows. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Friends, Jesus' first coming was the epic event that a righteous man named Simeon and the prophetess named Anna spent a lifetime searching for. They didn't recognize Jesus because of his little baby bracelet. They didn't recognize Jesus because of his entourage of secret servicemen. They didn't recognize Jesus because of the Mercedes Benz that was parked out front. They recognized Jesus because they had spent their entire lives looking for the substance and saying the shadow won't do. Friends, one will never discover grace if they keep looking to the law and keep chasing shadows. Let that settle in your heart for just a moment. You can't keep chasing shadows. The substance has already been here. He's already here. He made his residence inside of us. We call him Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't leave us. He's God with us. We see that story of Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. His name literally means one who has heard. Simeon was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I love this, moved by the Spirit. If I give you a challenge for 2017, don't get moved by your emotions. Don't get moved by just your feelings. Don't even get moved by logic. Don't get moved by reason. Get moved by the Spirit. The Bible says moved by the Spirit. I don't know what that sounded like. I don't know what that felt like. I don't know. But Simeon had spent all this time searching for the Messiah, and he recognized him. Mary didn't walk in and say, here's the baby Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. He knew him. The light was so bright. The light that was emanating out of Christ was so beautiful and so gracious, and he just knew it was him. Oh. It says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. You see, Simeon had eyes to see grace. He had eyes to see light. He took him in his arms, saying, Sovereign, Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You know what? He had so much peace in his heart. That reminds me of the night I got saved. I literally asked the Lord to dismiss me that night. I said it in a different way, but I just said, Lord, I've got so much peace. You know, I just said, kill me. That's what I said. But I did. I honestly did. The night I got saved, I just said, Lord, just kill me now because I knew, I knew I was right with God. Religion told me I could mess it up and I didn't want to mess it up. I didn't want to go one day. So I just crawled back in bed and I just said, Lord, just take my life. Just kill me is what I said. Here's this guy, you know, he says, listen, now that I've waited all this time, the shadow is no longer there. I have the substance in my hands. Oh, do you imagine what a precious moment that must have been? He said, now you can just dismiss your servant in peace. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And then he nails it. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child, (laughs) this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that he will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What was he talking about? He was talking about Mary's time at the base of the cross when that sword would literally pierce her heart as she would watch her boy die and give his life for the whole world. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years and after her marriage was a widow until she was 84. Now, why does the Bible tell us stuff like that? Really? Well, why do we need to know how old she was? Because there's nothing in the Bible that's a coincidence. It's not filler stuff. If God is going through the time to have the Holy Spirit to tell us how old she was, then we need to look at that. Names and numbers all mean something in the Bible. When we look at the number 8 out of 84, it literally means a new beginning. It means a new beginning, okay? God made everything in six days, rested on the seventh. We stepped in the new week. It's a new beginning. Every single Sunday, new beginning, new beginning, new beginning, okay? The number 4. On the fourth day, God created the moon the sun, and the stars, okay? The purpose of the moon, the sun, and the stars was not just to give light. The purpose of the moon, the sun, and the stars was to divide the day from night. Our new beginning in Christ has separated us from the night. You see, we had dark hearts at one time. We lived as children of night. We lived as children of darkness. But when Jesus said, I'm going to come and move inside of you, And he said, I'm the light of the world. He said, I'm going to separate that darkness. And all you're going to be is filled with light. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. He says, you are the children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. It's just so plain right there. We're children of light. Quit walking around and being condemned with dark thoughts and evil things. You're children of light. Anna never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. When her husband died, she was probably in her early 20s. They married very, very young back then. She was only married seven years. Her husband died. Okay, so now she's 84. She spent a long time. 
worshiping both night and day and fasting and praying. I mean, this woman was really disciplined. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. I want to tell you something. This year, I'm going to challenge you just to be more thankful and let people know how thankful you are. You'll change your world and your surroundings. She came up to him, gave thanks, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I want you to know something. Jesus came as a baby, but he didn't stay a baby. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And that word favor right there is the Greek word hares, or we say charis. It literally means grace. It's the same kind of grace that the Apostle Paul opens up every single letter with, pronouncing grace upon us. The same grace that came upon Jesus is the same grace that we have living on the inside of us. Let's compare the shadow of bread versus the substance of bread. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 through 15, we find this truth. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone... Thin flakes like frost appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? They had never seen anything like this before. The words what is it in Hebrew is manna. Manna doesn't mean bread. Manna means what is it? They came out and went, Manna? And literally, that's what they did. The word manna is what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is the shadow of the bread of life, and his name is Christ. Now, let's fast forward over into the New Testament, okay? Now the declaration that Jesus makes about himself is going to have better substance to it. Jesus declared in John chapter 6, verses 35 and verse 38, these words, I am the bread of life. In verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. As Jesus continues to speak, he wonderfully marries the shadow manna with the substance which is himself, so that we can see that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus came to live inside of us, Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, and Jesus came to be our eternal manna. In John chapter 6, verses 48 through 58, we find these words. <laughs> he said, I'm the bread of life. He said, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, exactly the way God rained down the other bread, he rained down Jesus. Here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat. I love this, and not die. You know what, just grab a hold of those words and take them home with you, would you? He says, if you eat this bread, you're not going to die. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. See, we don't pass from life to death to life. We pass from life to life. Everybody that's died and, and that was a believer went from life right into more awesome life, a more glorious life. There's no death for the believer. Oh, the loved ones that have went on before us, friends, oh, they're rejoicing. They're happy. They're with Jesus. He said, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
It's the same body. He's talking about his body, not the flesh that we have. We, we've got this kind of flesh, but we've got another flesh that we don't like so well. You know, he's talking about his body. It's the same body that carried our sorrows. It's the same body that carried our sins. It's the same body that carried our sons. Did you know in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, when it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, that word carried comes from the Latin word gravid, and it literally means pregnant with child. He has carried our sorrows. He has carried our sins so that he could give birth to us and give us a new beginning and separate us from darkness. He said, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us this flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. How can we overlook something like this? He's not just talking about only if you take communion, you're going to have eternal life. I mean, that's just a reminder of what we've already got. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. I don't know about you, but I like that one. I'm going to keep that one too, right? I'm going to put that one in my pocket as well. He says, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. You don't live because of you. Jesus said, he'll live because of me. Live what? Live unto righteousness. You live because of me. <laughs> this is the bread that came down from heaven. He says, your ancestors ate manna. Remember, that's the shadow, right? You know what? Shadows don't have calories. They don't have any nutrients in them. You can eat shadows all day long. It's no wonder they died. But when we eat from the true bread of life, oh, it's full. It's not just so much of calories, but nutrition. It's full of everything we need spiritually and in the soulless realm as well. He says, this bread came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Come on, guys, let's grab a hold of this truth forever and remain in me and will never die. He keeps driving home the point just kind of a different way. He's telling us the same thing. Friends, Jesus was born in the house of bread. And as priceless as that silent night was, I find it interesting that two of the four Gospels do not even mention the night of our dear Savior's birth. I don't know if any of the disciples that loved Jesus the way John loved Jesus, but John, you know what he did when he opened up his book? He exchanged Jesus' swaddling clothes for a seamless robe because John introduces Jesus to the world as a full-grown man ready for ministry. Mark does the same thing. They do. All four Gospels contain the crucifixion. All four Gospels contain the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, but only Matthew and Luke's Gospels contain the triumphant grace entrance of Jesus into this world as a baby, and we call that the Christmas story. The Old Testament consists of 39 books, and the last book of the Old Testament is a book called Malachi. In the Hebrew, it's called Malachi. Malachi only has four chapters, and that fourth chapter has six verses. Malachi ends his book with a real cliffhanger as he prophesies the coming of two men with ecclesiastical agendas. I want to draw your eyes and attention to the last two verses that were written in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. He says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. 
When you first read that and you see that there's this great and dreadful day that the Lord comes, I'm going to tell you something. That word dreadful, it kind of sounds a little spooky. It sounds a little scary. But I want to tell you something. I don't have any dread when I think about Jesus coming. It shouldn't be dreadful for us as believers. We should be looking forward to this, right? We should be looking forward to this day that He comes. And literally behind that word dreadful there is actually the word reverence. For that reverent day that the Lord comes. I want to meet the one who carried my sorrows. I want to meet the one and hug the one and kiss the one that carried my sins and my sons. I want to meet the one that cured me and made me whole. I want to meet the one that got his head caught in the thicket in the bushes there. I want to meet the one who said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I want to meet this Jesus, don't you? I want to meet him. I'm looking forward to that day when I can just run up to my Jesus and hug him and hold him and love him. You see, the shadow won't do. I don't kiss the picture of my wife. I kiss my wife. I don't want just the shadow. I want the real substance. Friends, let me tell you something. We've been talking about that heavenly pie. It's the bread of life. It's Jesus Christ himself. And we can taste him now. We don't have to wait till we go to heaven. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is coming again. And we're going to taste him like we have never tasted him before. Oh, he's good. the Bible says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. I don't like the fact that it ends on that note. That is the way the Old Testament ends, but I want you to know something. God is not striking the land with the curse. That's already been done. Every time you see something that goes on in the world like a Katrina, uh, like a Hurricane Matthew, uh, like the 911, that is not God striking this land with a curse. Believe me, if God wanted to strike this land with a curse, everybody would know it. There'd be no controversy. There'd be no talk. What do you think? Everybody would know it. The curse has already been put on Jesus. Galatians, I think it's chapter 3, verse 13, he says, the curse has already been put on Jesus. (laughs) He became a curse for us. The curse is on him. Malachi ends his book with the bold declaration of the coming of a man named Elijah and Christ. Not only speaks of his first coming, but it speaks of his second coming. And the interesting thing about that verse, it's actually not even speaking about Elijah coming. It's speaking about John the Baptist. It's talking about John the Baptist who would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Friends, our Christmas hope begins with the promise that we have been justified by faith. Not faith times, not faith plus, not faith and, but faith in Christ and faith alone. Friends, we have been healed We have been made whole by God and our promise is strengthened by the truth that believers are also sealed by God so that Christ can be revealed by God. We have the glorious promise that Jesus is coming again and he's coming for you and he's coming for me. Let's look at the scriptures that assure us of this marvelous hope as we're winding down this message. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. I just love these verses right here. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Friends, when you apprehend that wonderful truth all by itself, it takes away any dread that you might ever experience in life that Jesus is coming. And Jesus, you know, we got taught that stuff growing up. I'm not kidding you. That, you know, son, you better watch it now. I'm telling you, when Jesus comes today, you might be the one he leaves in the field. 
you know, you might be left in the field or you might be left on the rooftop. Boy, you know, we're always scared, you know, so we had all this dread we were dealing with. I want you to know something. When you know that you are justified by faith, exactly like the scriptures say, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith. We can have peace with God. Even if you don't feel peace, it's okay. The peace is with God. Does it say that? We have peace with God. He's the one who's got the peace. He's made peace with us because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. We have been healed. We have been cured and made whole. Now the question becomes, who is he coming for? <laughs> That's more like it is. Who is he coming for? I don't have a problem with believing that he came. I don't have a problem with believing that he came again. The problem I always had growing up, who is he coming for? <laughs> is he going to come for me? Ephesians chapter 1, let's lay that to rest, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Watch this now. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We have not only been healed, but we've been sealed. We get healed when Jesus takes away our sins. He takes away our leprosy. That's the greatest healing you can get. And Jesus came and laid in a manger so that he could grow up someday and die on the cross so that he could take away all of our sins. He could heal us. He could cure us. He could make us whole. Not only healed, but we've been sealed. But friends, I want to tell you something. Christ has been revealed. God has been revealed. We see this awesome truth in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, watch what he says. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the only way to the Father. <laughs> He's our way to the Father, and he has been revealed. And he said, listen, I'm going to come back again someday, and I'm going to reveal you in all my glory, and I'm going to take you to the place that I've prepared for you that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not conceived. It's a wonderful place. When you braid together all these wonderful truths, we are justified. That means declared righteous by faith. The Holy Spirit is our deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance that Jesus is coming again. We have reason to say, Merry Christmas. I didn't come by tonight, really, just to tell you that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. I didn't come by to tell you that Jesus hung on an old rugged cross and was laid in a mausoleum. I came by to tell you that Jesus is coming again. Friends, you can't have a second coming, though, until you've had a first coming. His first coming was in that manger. Jesus has already made his matchless entrance and his peerless exit. Jesus is coming again. I don't know what that looks like in heaven. I don't know if he's like a little kid with his daddy yanking on the shirt tail of his daddy going, Daddy, can I go get him? <laughs> daddy, can I go get him? I sometimes picture it like that. Daddy, can I go get him? Especially when Valerie's being cute. Daddy, can I go get her? Can I just go get Valerie? I'll leave Mark. But I'll, I'll leave him for a while. They, Triumphant Grace needs him. But only if he just kind of snatches you like he did Enoch and Elijah, by the way. Okay? Amen. Malachi chapter 4. Verse 5, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Malachi's declaration speaks of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and his second coming as well. When Jesus was born, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, and again, they laid him in a manger. 
When Jesus died, they wrapped him around a cross and they laid him in a tomb. But when our precious Jesus comes again, he won't be wrapped with swaddling clothes. He won't be wrapped with an old rugged cross. He'll be wrapped with the clouds. When he comes again, he is coming with power and he's coming with great glory and he's coming with authority and he's coming with royalty. He's going to be so regal. He's coming with authority, friends. He's coming with sovereignty and kingship and beauty and radiant with holiness. And friends, I'm going to tell you something else. He's coming carrying the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible says the books were open. He's coming. See, he's always carrying us. He's got us under his arm in the Lamb's book of life. He is always carrying us. My name's in that book. Is your name in that book? I know it is, isn't it? Amen. He's still carrying us. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. My final scripture says we wind up the message. Jesus is coming again. They're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 through 23. Apostle Paul said it this way. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And then the Apostle Paul says that this way. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You see, Paul had visited heaven. Paul had seen things in heaven that the Bible says he wasn't permitted to even talk about. I don't know if he could have found the words to describe. I don't think there were English words. Paul was a smart man. But when he went to heaven, he saw things that he couldn't articulate. It was so glorious. It was so awesome. The cradle wasn't there. The cross wasn't there. The clouds weren't even there, but Christ was there. And I believe that's what he beheld. He beheld the glory of a risen Savior. And he says, if all I've got to look forward to in this life is just what I get here, he said, I'm of a man most miserable. He says, but now, let me tell you something. Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Jesus is coming again. I want to say it again. My hope is not built on the historical fact that Jesus came in a cradle. And it's not even built that he went on a cross. It's built upon the promise that Jesus is coming again and he's coming for you and he's coming for me and that is the Christmas message of grace in Jesus' name. Father, I want to thank you for this message of grace, this message of your great grace. And Father, now as we have preached about the bread of life and the blood of Christ, together we see the body and the blood of Christ in a way that reminds us we have already been justified by faith. We've already entered into that rest. We've already entered into that place of grace. Taking your body and your blood just helps us to value and esteem it even all the more. Daddy, I just thank you for sending Jesus 
given us this Christmas bread. What a wonderful gift that just keeps on giving. And Father, as we receive him tonight, we do it with gracious hearts and thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I was watching TBN recently, and I saw this lady who was describing the best communion experience she ever had, and it was not typical. So often we think communion has to be at church, (laughs) and you have to have the right music and the right elements, and she had none of that. She had six women inmates who wouldn't see outside again. And she didn't have any communion wafers, and she didn't have any grape juice. And one of the ladies said, I want to take communion. So she looked in her purse, and she found six cough drops. And they looked around, and they found a little bit of Pepsi that someone had left behind. And when she explained to them what communion was, that the cough drops represented the body of Jesus Christ, broken for us. And that the Pepsi represented his blood poured out to give us life. Each one served another one. She gave it to the first lady. And the first lady, of course, not being properly trained in these things, (laughs) turned to the second lady and said, this represents his body. He thinks you're worth it. This represents his blood. He thinks you're worth it. So when we receive communion, that's what I want you to think. This is his body, that he was crucified for me because he said, I'm worth it. I'm worth all the suffering. I'm worth him giving his life for. I'm worth him leaving all the power of heaven behind and living as a human being with all the limitations of a human being. He said, you are worth it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Go ahead and eat. And think, I'm worth it. Jesus said, I'm worth it. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. Take and drink and think I'm worth it. Go ahead and drink. Father, we thank you that your cross was our cross too. We thank you that you took our sins and our failures. You took our flesh. You took it all to the cross. You carried our sins and our sorrows and our griefs. You took it all so that you could give us all. All life, all joy, all peace, all that you are. And Father God, we celebrate. We celebrate the truth that Jesus Christ lives in us, that you gave your life so that we could begin to really live, that we could experience and know you, and that we would never again have to be without you. Jesus, we say thank you. We do this in remembrance of you. 
We do this looking forward to your return. We do this in celebration of the greatest gift ever given. In Jesus' name, amen. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I wish you a very merry, happy, and healthy Christmas. Amen.